You're listening to a music and talk episode where full songs and talk segments play together only on Spotify. Best of all, you can create your own music and talk show for free with Anchor, Spotify's podcasting platform. Get started at anchor.fm slash music and talk. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash M-U-S-I-C-A-N-D-T-A-L-K. A lot of spelling there, but just do it. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. In 1988, I was 10 years old, and I asked my parents to tape the MTV Video Music Awards because Guns N' Roses would be performing. It was past my bedtime. Arsenio Hall was the host. In Excess won five awards. Michael Jackson won the Video Vanguard Award. Guns N' Roses performed a song called Welcome to the Jungle. I was attending the Catholic school Sacred Heart Elementary in Eureka, Missouri at the time, if that's relevant, which I think it might have been, because after they watched Guns N' Roses perform Welcome to the Jungle, my parents were unhappy. The next day, they sat me down. Now, Robbie, they said, Robbie with a Y, we're just concerned that you might get the idea that drugs might be something you want to try. I had not gotten that idea. I had no idea. I was too naive to even be impressionable. I want you to imagine that you are a fourth grader at Sacred Heart Elementary attempting to process the exact nature of this threat. I didn't think it was drugs. I'll tell you that much. My parents let me watch the VMAs, but they would not permit me to buy, on cassette, Appetite for Destruction, the 1987 debut album from Guns N' Roses that opens with Welcome to the Jungle. Instead, I bought Bon Jovi's New Jersey. I do not regret this. Fantastic album. Track two is called Bad Medicine, but it's not about drugs. It's about sex. It's fine. Appetite for Destruction has sold 30 million copies worldwide. One of the biggest and ugliest hard rock albums ever born. I basically owned it in the sense that I had access to MTV in the late 80s. Same deal with GNR Lies, the shortish Guns N' Roses album that came out in 1988 that I was also not allowed to buy, even though I loved the all-acoustic ballad Patience. Lies had a song called One in a Million that was rife with racist and homophobic slurs. 
I was not aware of this at the time. Also, reportedly, there was a photo of a naked lady in the liner notes. I was aware of this at the time, thanks to reporting from my Catholic school classmates. I survived. Cut to 1991. No more Catholic school. I am now technically a surly teenager. I can buy any record I want, including, theoretically, the third and fourth albums from Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 1 and Use Your Illusion 2. Released on the same day in September and sold separately. 18 bucks or so a piece if you'd moved on to CDs. I didn't buy them. I didn't need to. Because once again, merely by dint of having access to MTV in the early 90s, the cold November rain washed down on us all. You know where you are? You're on 60 Songs That Explain the 90s, a podcast about the music that used to scare us, or our parents, and the stuff we probably should have been scared of instead. My name is Rob Harvilla. I stopped going by Robbie in the sixth grade for the ladies. The ladies didn't care. I'm a staff writer and music critic at The Ringer, with the exception of exactly one encounter with mushrooms. The Flaming Lips were involved. I have no significant drug experience. Shout out to my parents. Today, we are talking about November Rain, the extremely not acoustic Guns N' Roses power ballad that appears, for the record, on Use Your Illusion 1. Use Your Illusion 2 is a little better, a little harder. Neither was worth 20 bucks, though. This is also a podcast about what the 90s quote-unquote invented and what the 90s quote-unquote killed. The party line, among a lot of music critics anyway, is that grunge killed hair metal. The late 80s on MTV, heavy rotation-wise, you get GNR, you get Poison, you get Def Leppard, you get Cinderella. You get spandex, you get hairspray, they at least get a lot of chicks. The early 90s on MTV, you get Nirvana, you get Pearl Jam, you get Soundgarden, you get Darkness, you get Self-Loathing. Janie Lane, the late frontman for hair metal knuckleheads Warrant, used to tell a story about walking into his record label office in New York City around 1990, and above the label president's secretary's desk is a giant blow-up poster of the new Warrant album, Cherry Pie. You remember Cherry Pie. It gave you the idea that dessert was something you might want to try. But around 1992, Janie Lane walked back into this record label's office with another Warren album coming out. And there, hanging above the label president's secretary's desk, is a giant blow-up poster of Alice in Chains' Dirt. As Janie Lane put it, quote, It got to the point where it was like, okay, every rock band that came out in the 80s sucked and has no reason to live and should not be on this planet, and there's no way they can possibly do anything worthwhile and viable in the 90s, end quote. So what is Guns N' Roses, very arguably the single best and most dangerous rock band of the 80s, do to maintain their viability in 1991? The Use Your Illusion Saga, a 30-track, two-and-a-half-hour double album, the two halves sold separately, that peaks with November Rain, a nearly nine-minute Homeric epic, either the literary Homer or the Simpsons Homer, with an orchestra, backup singers, multiple guitar solos, and a blockbuster $1.5 million video that features both a wedding and a funeral. 
During the wedding, it starts raining. This rainstorm is unusually violent. Everyone runs for cover, and a random wedding guest dives full extension into the wedding cake, just demolishes the cake. Why did he do that? What the hell is going on? This is a baffling time to be alive, to be a surly teenager. This is a baffling audiovisual experience to process while trying to figure out which dudes with guitars actually suck. It is best, when attempting to wrap one's head around the majesty of November Rain, to start at the very beginning. This, right here, three seconds, you know what you're in for. I want to be clear that I love this song profoundly, in spite of everything. But this is how an asshole plays piano, like octaves. I'm telling you for a fact, it's a bad omen in the best way. Nine minutes of this attitude, you know what you're in for. Can a band that sold as many albums as Guns N' Roses sell out? Can a band whose breakout song was the slow dance classic Sweet Child of Mine go soft? Is November Rain, in its bloat, in its orchestral-ass Elton John grandeur, a betrayal of the sleazy Los Angeles hair metal creeps that brought you It's So Easy and Mr. Brownstone and Paradise City? Can a frontman, as mercurial, as egomaniacal, as crude, as vicious, as instantly and unapologetically cancelable as Axl Rose, ever go too far, morally or sonically? There is no E in Axl. Because that way, Axl Rose can be an anagram for oral sex. Slash, the band's equally iconic lead guitarist and Axl's dramatic foil, once described November Rain as, quote, the sound of our band breaking up, end quote. Though in fairness, Slash also described GNR's cover of Sympathy for the Devil, which appeared on the soundtrack to the 1994 Kirsten Dunst vehicle interview with a vampire as, quote, the sound of a band breaking up, end quote. And that song was actually when the band broke up. But let's just say that Slash and bassist Duff McKagan, and not much longer for this band guitarist Izzy Stradlin, didn't actively worship Elton John the way Axel did. November Rain, for the record, does sound an awful lot like Elton's Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding. And let's also say that one of the subtler joys of the November Rain video is watching the members of Guns N' Roses who aren't Axl Rose try to keep themselves awake. Put it this way, three people who played on Appetite for Destruction wrote autobiographies. Slash, Duff, and drummer Steven Adler. Roughly 80% of those books are about sex and drugs. To wit, Steven Adler's book is called My Appetite for Destruction, colon, Sex, Drugs, and Guns N' Roses. He got kicked out of the band in 1990, largely for substance abuse issues, which I'm hesitant to say is funny because Steven's mother, Deanna Adler, also wrote a book called Sweet Child of Mine, colon, How I Lost My Son to Guns N' Roses, and that book ain't funny at all. But the other 20% of most of these books is about what a pain in the ass Axl Rose was, is, shall always be. Darling, when I hold you, don't you know I feel the same? 
This song as a song, as flowery and overwrought as it might be, does not represent some huge departure, temperamentally or otherwise, for Guns N' Roses, who have the word roses right in their name, and who cut at least two demos of November Rain back in 1986. There is a five-minute acoustic guitar version. There is a 10-minute piano version. But I just keep on walking again. Depending on which book you read, Axel either told people this one's for the second album or was pissed that people told him to save it for the second album. Could be both. In his autobiography, Slash suggests that there is also an 18-minute demo. They'll include that in a $2,000 box set someday. November Rain does fit better on the Use Your Illusion albums to the extent that anything fits on those albums. It can't be some huge anomaly if everything is anomalous. The unifying theme is chaos. For a solid hour of those two and a half hours, GNR sound like the world's surliest blues rock bar band. There's like three paying customers in this bar. It's a Wednesday. Everyone in the band hates everyone else in the band. Duff already lost all their drink tickets. Everyone's just in it for the money. It's that vibe, except these albums sold 7 million copies apiece. You also get, honestly, pretty righteous covers of Bob Dylan's Knocking on Heaven's Door and Wings' Live and Let Die. It's like classic rock setting itself on fire while trying to pass the torch. You get Get in the Ring, wherein Axel invites Spin Magazine founder Bob Guccione Jr. to suck his dick. You get an angry bar band song called Back Off Bitch, which takes great pains to be self-explanatory. You get epic dirges called Coma and Civil War that last as long as most comas and civil wars. You get the extra surly Terminator 2 tie-in You Could Be Mind, which rules, and which would have fit great on Appetite for Destruction. And at the very end, you get My World, which sounds like worst-case scenario Bjork and would fit great in hell. None of this coheres. None of this especially rewards your time and effort. None of this is worth like 40 bucks. But more to the point, none of this matters. What matters nearly 30 years later is November Rain, and specifically the November Rain video, which to repeat reportedly cost $1.5 million, and which in 2018 became the oldest music video on YouTube to surpass 1 billion views. A great honor I'm still processing in terms of the insults inherent in it. The November Rain video is the second chapter, The Empire Strikes Back, if you will, of a video trilogy that starts with Don't Cry, another power ballad, and ends with Estranged, which is like five power ballads colliding in midair. The narrative here is based on a tragic rock star type short story called Without You, written by a journalist and Axel pal named Del James. November Rain, the song, is inspired in part by Axel's relationship with his ex-wife, model Erin Everly. Though as with Don't Cry, the video co-stars then-current Axel girlfriend and model Stephanie Seymour. It's her wedding, to Axel. It's her funeral. How she dies is not explained at all. Narratively, it's just wedding, unusually violent rainstorm, wedding cake destroyed, Funeral. With this band, you never want the answers to any of your questions. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, 
you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Seymour was supposed to star in the estranged video also, but she and Axel had broken up by then. And so, in the trilogy's closing chapter, Axel Rose hangs out with dolphins. In 1995, Slash, promoting his side project Slash's Snake Pit, would lament the excess of the Use Your Illusion era by saying, quote, there was just a little too much thinking going on, end quote. Now that's funny. That's the backstory. This is November Rain's first guitar solo. That's the raddest shot in the whole video, by the way. Slash walking out of the church in New Mexico. It looks abandoned. I don't know where anybody parked. He's got a cigarette dangling out of his mouth. He looks cool as hell. Maybe this video in its totality is cool as hell. Maybe it's the uncoolest thing the early 90s managed to barf out. At the towering scale at which 80s hard rock tended to work, your career peak and rock bottom could look amazingly similar. GNR, in this iteration anyway, we're not long for this world as a band, as an ethos. Enter alternative rock. In his own memoir, It's So Easy and Other Lies, Duff McKagan, a Seattle native, and by default the guy in Guns N' Roses with the most punk rockish underground cred, idly wonders what would have happened if he'd never gone to L.A. in the first place. Quote, what if I would have stayed in Seattle? Would I have been in Soundgarden or Mother Love Bone? 
End quote. Mother Love Bone, grunge forefathers, charismatic frontman Andrew Wood dies of a heroin overdose in 1990 on the cusp of success. Some of his bandmates go on to form Pearl Jam. The Pearl Jam Soundgarden supergroup Temple of the Dog forms to pay tribute to Wood, Hunger Strike, Lollapalooza, Look Out, the rest is history. Mother Love Bone's best song is called Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns. See if it reminds you of anybody. I think Duff would have made that work, but some divides are uncrossable. It is truly wild now to think about Nirvana and Guns N' Roses breathing the same oxygen, to think about the November rain and smells like teen spirit videos dominating the same television network, to think about Axl Rose and Kurt Cobain occupying the same plane of existence. Axl wanted their bands to tour together. Kurt was not so hot on that idea. Reportedly, there was a heated altercation, words were exchanged, backstage at the 1992 MTV Video Music Awards between Kurt, Courtney Love, and Axel. Bitch was reportedly among those words. Duff McKagan and Nirvana bassist Chris Novoselic apparently got into it as well. Avoid a bassist fight at all costs. It's like when giraffes attack each other. It looks very amusing and unnatural, but it can be deadly. The big winners at the VMAs that year were Van Halen and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's nice for Los Angeles. But increasingly, Seattle was in, and L.A., or at least the Sunset Strip from whence Guns N' Roses oozed, was out. November Rain was as far as overthought hair metal brainlessness could go. Or anyway, as far as it could take you. What I can tell you is that for the rest of the 90s, hundreds of thousands of rock bands, some unknown, some dismayingly popular, sought to painstakingly replicate Nirvana, the sound, the vision, the attitude, the ethical framework. Guns N' Roses, not so much. In 1993, they put out a punk rock covers album called The Spaghetti Incidents, question mark. A song written by Charles Manson was included as a bonus track. And then the band finally definitively imploded, and Axel was the only one left. He wrote some new songs. He made some new friends. One of those friends had an empty fried chicken bucket on his head. The next GNR album, called Chinese Democracy, was released more than a decade later and cost around $13 million, or roughly eight and a half November Rain videos. Let's not get into it. Aaron Everly, for the record, sued Axl Rose in 1994, alleging emotional and physical abuse. Rose and Seymour traded lawsuits and allegations of abuse as well. Enjoying this guy's music has always entailed feeling vaguely terrible about yourself. You might have felt a little gross rooting against him in the hapless, recluse wilderness years especially, but it's usually preferable to rooting for him. A reunited Guns N' Roses, or at least Slash and Duff were there, started touring together again in 2016. I caught them on that first tour's semi-official opening night in Detroit. They took the stage to the Looney Tunes theme. It was the night of the Brexit vote, which mercifully didn't come up. They sounded great. They looked, they sounded great. GNR did not make me feel 10 years old again. 
They did not scare me. They did not remind me of when they scared me. But fleetingly, they seemed as cool to me as they were in the late 80s, or far cooler anyway than the mid-90s onward would have you believe. I was stretching. I was straining to recall, to recapture this feeling. I was exhausted by the effort. The band, visibly, was exhausted by the effort. But it's necessary work, the maintaining of certain illusions and the demolishing of others. Their rock bottom might be your rock bottom. Their peak might be your peak. And as my parents had learned so many years ago, when you're high, you never want to come down. Let's turn now to Isaac Lee, our producer, our in-house musician and studio guru. Isaac, I'm tired of talking about Axel, and I'd like to instead talk about Slash. What are your feelings about Slash? Slash, I mean, what is there to say? He's uh, Mm. obviously an icon of guitar, of the electric guitar, of rock, of metal. Mm -hmm. And he's iconic in the way that he even looks. The hat and the hair... And the sunglasses, I mean, he, it's very striking. unmistakable. Um, if you see Slash, you know it's Slash. But uh, more to the point of, of his actual craft and his actual skill, which is playing the guitar, I mean, he is unique in the sense that if you heard Slash on any record, and he's been on multiple records outside of Guns N' Roses, you know it's Slash. He is as unmistakable sonically as he is visually. You can mm-hmm. hear the kind of fat, tone that's still kind of striking and and still very much cutting through at the same time providing this kind of rich warm tone but i think what really defines him what makes him unconventional what makes him unique in a certain sense is the fact that he's more or less a classic rock and blues player more than a hard rock and metal player Mm -hmm. just in his entire approach to playing guitar he's not as flashy as as other hard rock guitarists he's not as hardcore for lack of a better word than a lot of other right. metal guitarists but he still delivers that that sound he still delivers that except for the that his licks are bluesy and he uses mm-hmm. a Gibson Les Paul which is a very very classic guitar going into a Marshall amp a very very classic amp it, it's almost like he just transported him from the 60s and 70s except for now he's playing hardcore music like it's it's kind of this dissonance that i enjoy almost that it's like an evolution of the sounds that we all associate with the past, even in the 90s, that people associated with the past, except for he's updated it. He's modernized it. In a way, right. I would compare him, this is, might be a weird comparison, I would compare him to T.S. Eliot, the poet who <laughs> basically built on English poetry, even as an American expat. Who yeah, I don't know if that's, that makes any sense. But I look at Slash and think, this guy is the T.S. Eliot of guitar. Wow. That is profound. I was gonna. I was totally gonna say that, Isaac. You, you stole. <laughs> you stole my line. I. I don't know if you're a connoisseur of, say, Poison or mm. Def Leppard or Motley Crue or Skid Row. Are any of those guys in Slash's league as guitar solos go? Like, what sets him apart from that class? I mean, they're in the same league, but what makes Slash? I mean, if you just say, "Hey, list five guitarists you know" to any anybody in the Western right. world, they're gonna list Slash and. 
the reason behind that is that he doesn't overdo it. He just he's a very less is more guitarist, and less is more is a lot more recognizable. You remember Slash's solos because there's not a million notes flirting at you all at once most of the time. Right. You can remember seven notes in a row instead of thirty five. And mm-hmm. that's a little bit too simplistic. Like he's a very, very skilled guitarist who can be flashy, who can actually I hesitate to use this word, but shred. He can shred. shred. That's the word. He can. Yeah. He just chooses not to. And there's a beauty in that restraint. And even though it, it might sound simple, it's definitely not. And his intonation, I mean, God, yeah. what a what a precise guitarist he is, even though you would associate rock with this kind of chaotic energy. Right. He's a very precise guitarist and he's very fundamentally sound and weirdly that sets him apart he's one of those like tim duncan I, i'm going to use another comparison he's kind of one of those <laughs> tim duncan type of type of people there we go you can't really define his game you can't really define slash's playing style to one thing except for that he's really just good at the thing t.s Eliot and tim duncan that's that's <laughs> that's amazing thank you very much isaac thank you My guest today is Nomi Fry. She writes for The New Yorker. She lives in Brooklyn. She has intense feelings about Guns N' Roses. I I think that about covers it. Nomi, thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, Thank you for having me, Rob. That was all very accurate. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that. Nomi, why does the guy jump into the cake in the November Rain video? On the one hand, I think it's a kind of uh, very uh, clumsy foreshadowing, Mm -hmm. right? Because he, I mean, they slice the cake in the more conventional manner as one does Mm -hmm. at a wedding party. Yes. But then after that, this guy with like long hair and a suit just sort of slices the cake Mm. like as he, as he kind of barrels into it, like over the table yeah, and the cake collapses. And with it, the two, you know, mm. small figurines of the bride and the groom at the top. And uh, it's a kind of precursor foreshadowing of the, the death that the mm. videos end suggests because it's like, it's such a happy occasion, but there's an right. undercurrent of grief and uh, uh, mourning underneath. Right. It's super profound when you put it that way. <laughs> Maybe. Actually. And it's also just like, you know, I think in these videos, it's in this type of video, everything is uh, extremely explicit and over the top. Like there's mm-hmm. no subtlety to be had. So right. I think it's like, what would be the most clumsy and pedestrian way, <laughs> an obvious way <laughs> to suggest like, oh, things are going to go awry Right. Then we'll have this guy like shoot through the cake. Yeah. And it's uh, the third thing that I would say about it is that there's also in the video this um, sense of like kind of like a pranky kind of humor mm-hmm. in certain moments. For instance, when like they're at the altar and Slash is supposed to be the best man. <laughs> And he can't find the ring. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that part? The priest's like, reaction is my favorite shot in the, the entire video. And the priest's reaction is amazing. The mm-hmm. priest sort of like crinkles his face up and like <laughs> mock disapproval slash hilarity. Right. 
uh, Duff is like, oh, hey, man, here's the ring. Don't <laughs> worry. Pinky, yeah. I got you mm-hmm. on his pinky. And that's a kind of like extremely corny, like moment of humor. So I think the cake collapsing <laughs> under the, the weight of that guest yes. also is a little bit like that. There's a kind of like, oh, my God, like a j- kind of a jackassy thing. Right, right. You know, a stunt thing. How does November Rain first strike you in 1991? At that point, are you a Guns N' Roses super fan? Are you a casual fan? I'm a Guns fan? N' Roses super fan. Okay. Yes. I'm a Guns N' Roses <laughs> super fan. I'm in ninth grade. And I am waiting with bated breath for the follow-up to GNR Lies. Mm. And I love Guns N' Roses. I listen to them all the time. I think they're the coolest band in the world. And, you know, it took them kind of a long time, a relatively long time to kind of like make the album. People were saying it's like, yeah, it's a double album. Like, what's it going to be? What's happening? When are we going to hear from the boys? And then it comes out and I'm immediately turned off. Oh. Yes. I remember really wanting to like it. Like, I remember not wanting to let go. And I didn't let go. Like, I didn't overtly say I'm done with the group. Right. But inside I was weeping <laughs> and I felt some sense of betrayal. With the bloat of it all? Just the, the power bloat ballad? of it all. Yeah. yeah. Where's the punk spirit? <laughs> I, I was, I was a little bit disappointed. You were disappointed. Did anything on either Use Your Illusion album get to you? Cause it's such a grab bag of stuff. Like there is theoretically. It's a grab bag. You know what? I feel like I never really got through it. I swear to God. Like I probably got through it. You know, I, I had it and I got it. I got it. I think I still got it on tape, like on mm. cassette, I feel like. And looking at these videos now and listening to these songs now, well, sorry, two things. First of all, of course, I watched those videos like a million times and I heard yes. those songs a million times. Like, it's not like I was like renouncing them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you just never stopped seeing these videos. And so I think on a really cellular level, they really made it into your bloodstream somehow, even if you didn't want them to. Like a lot of the things from that era, because they were repeated so much, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I don't remember if it was Dial MTV or what it was called, but MTV always had a dubious like call-in voting vote for your favorite video show. And November Rain was number one in my memory for just a half decade, just from 91 to 96. Like November yeah. Rain played at like 4.45 p.m. every day on MTV because yeah. it was the number one no, video. No, it was insane. And I also feel like, you know how when the sort of like women's magazine tip of like, oh, you want to buy like an investment piece, you want to buy like a Chanel bag or you want to buy like a Rolex or something like that. And they say, okay, yeah, it's really expensive, but like the cost per wear is Mm -hmm. negligible because you're going to like wear this every day for the rest of your life or something. So I feel like everybody really appreciated the effort so much. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And like, you know, the production value and how expensive it was and how like insanely long it was that everybody sort of like almost said, okay, this is like even just on the level of like sheer cost and production, mm-hmm. we should really play this like every hour on the hour. It's a good investment. <laughs> you know? It was the system working together to sort of prop up this like extremely bloated product. Um, at this time, do you find Axl Rose 
attractive in the conventional way. Oh, you mean his look, the way he looked in that specific era? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't think I used to. I think I felt like, Axel, what happened? Like, what's with the blazer? (laughs) You know? Like, why are you wearing, like, a boxy blazer Mm -hmm. and, like, jeans and you have, like, bangs? The bangs were disconcerting. I agree. And, like, the wire rim glasses and, like, what's the look? But now I love the look. Now you're into it. I think he looks amazing. Yeah, now I'm into it. Okay. But, you know, I'm now, like, twice the age Axel was then, (laughs) probably. (laughs) He was ahead of his time. He was really ahead of his time. And also I was, yeah. And of course he looked to me then like he was like 67 years old. (laughs) Like I was like, oh, he's so old. Like he's, meanwhile, he's like 27 probably, right? Or something. Yeah. Um, It's strange to think about the November rain and smells like teen spirit videos, like being on MTV on the same day or like existing in the same universe. Like, do you, did you have any sense at the time that like grunge was killing hair metal? Like, did you have a sense that you personally had to choose a side? Yes. (laughs) Which side did you choose? I totally chose the grunge side, of course. Of course. Uh, Because I wanted to be cool. And also it was cooler, like, and it was more interesting and it was like more energetic. And it, it also like, uh, it was just better at that point. And and, and in retrospect, I can appreciate the aesthetics and the sounds of hair metal or hard rock from that era, for sure. But then at the time I was like, no, I want to be... I want to be with the anarchy cheerleaders, you know, it's like much cooler. And also right. it seemed like more, more attainable. Yeah. Do you care about guitar solos? Do you look forward to them? Do you tolerate no. them? Are you indifferent? I'm indifferent. Indifferent. Okay. Indifferent. Even to Slash. I love Slash, but I never loved him because of his uh, skill, which is uh, considerable. Was it just the hat then, just so, I guess? He's, he was always very cool. Yes. It was just like really cool. It's yeah. true. Where are you on the art versus the artist conundrum when it comes to Axl Rose? Like, there's one in a million, you know, there's domestic yeah. abuse allegations, like the lyrics to literally any Guns N' Roses song ever recorded. Like, at times he just feels like an indefensible person. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that makes it somewhat easier for me in this case is that I was a young girl when I listened to these things, and it always seemed wrong to me. Like I I knew that it was wrong. And I sort of like, I didn't like one in a million, for instance. And I had weird feelings about the songs that were like clearly like misogynistic. I was, yeah, I was also like 13 and 14. And I was like, okay, you know, sort of like, like, I'm sure that had I been like a fully grown person, my initial attitude would probably be different and would like hinder me much more and like accepting this music into my heart and like all of that. Um, Thank you so much, Nomi. This has been wonderful. We appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Rav. Thanks very much to Nomi Fry, to our producers, Isaac Lee and Justin Sales. And thanks very much to you for listening. And now in its entirety, here is Guns N' Roses, November Rain. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.